Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Safe Ireland and Airbnb, working in partnership to support domestic violence survivors across Ireland. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. It's beginning to feel a lot like uh, the time of year that can't be cancelled, no matter what restrictions are going on. So even though Omicron is a worry and everyone's trying to get their boosters, we are going to keep it very Christmassy here on the podcast today. When the wonderful Grace Dent, British columnist, podcaster and restaurant critic, is going to be talking to us about Christmas comfort eating. We have to have something happy and jolly. It's the rhythms of the year though, isn't it? We have to go into this point where there's just a bit of excess and then obviously into like the purge of January. But what's the point in purging if you haven't made yourself slightly ill? But before we get to Grace Dent, a couple of stories that caught our eyes this week. We have to mention the DUP bill to prevent abortions in Northern Ireland in cases of non-fatal disabilities that was rejected this week after a tight vote at Stormont. And this is really amazing news for everybody in Northern Ireland, especially for all the activists who have been fighting so hard. The details are that the Assembly members voted by 45 to 42 to reject the principles of the bill after its consideration stage debate. And those against it included Sinn Féin, some SDLP, Alliance, Ulster Unionist, Green MLAs and People Before Profit. So this is really good news. Um, Following Northern Ireland's abortion laws changing significantly in 2020, uh, following legislation that passed at Westminster, It meant there would be no time limit for terminations when there was a substantial risk a fetus would suffer a severe mental or physical impairment. And campaigners had argued that the law would allow abortions without time limit for conditions such as Down syndrome. The DUP said its proposal was about removing discrimination against people with disabilities, but its opponents and pro-choice campaigners said it was an attempt to erode women's reproductive rights. And after the debate, the MLAs were told that the bill would be referred to the Assembly Speaker. But it's understood the DUP is taking legal advice about whether it can be moved again. But really, this is a significant um, achievement for, for all the campaigners. And I want to pay tribute to them. People we've had on this podcast before from Derry, from Belfast, from all over Northern Ireland for keeping the fight going. And this feels like a real watermark moment, especially actually watching Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin speaking out so clearly this week to say that women in the North deserve the same healthcare as those in the South, which I hadn't uh, seen before, but that was great to see. So well done to everyone involved. It's been a long road, but hopefully better times ahead for women and girls of Northern Ireland. Another story that we saw that we should thought we should bring to your attention was that for the first time in 16 years, Germany's going to be run by a man. But although Angela Merkel is handing over the chancellery to a male successor, the incoming cabinet is going to have more women than ever before. Half, to be exact. Olaf Scholz, the incoming chancellor, kept his election promise to appoint as many women as men to his government. And not only that, but women will run all the briefs related to security and diplomacy. So Germany is going to have its first female foreign minister, its first female interior minister and its third female defence minister in a row. And Mr. Schultz said on Monday, security will lie in the hands of strong women in this government. Women and men account for half the population each. So women should also get half the power. And it's something that um, Angela Merkel never achieved herself, gender parity in the cabinet. 
But um, she certainly had a massive influence and it's wonderful to see that now. And another good news story in terms of gender parity was that in Ireland, women make up half of the 22 ambassadorial appointments approved by the government at a meeting on Tuesday. So there's appointees including women ambassadors to the Vatican, Egypt, Jordan and United Arab Emirates. Seven women are also among the nine consuls general appointed by the government in a whole slate of senior diplomatic moves. So that is great. It's understood to be the first time that women have made up half of all the nominees in one of the twice yearly rounds of these appointments, according to Department of Foreign Affairs. When the latest appointments are finalised next year, the percentage of female heads of mission will be 46% and that's up from 36% one year ago. So that's fantastic. But now to today's episode. Grace Dent is an English columnist, broadcaster and author. She's written 11 novels and she hosts a podcast called Comfort Eating with Grace Dent, where she talks to famous people about the disgusting, delicious things that they really eat instead of the things that they pretend they eat. And it's a wonderful podcast. I'd really urge you to listen to it. She's a restaurant critic for The Guardian newspaper, which she says is the best job in the world. You'll know her from BBC's MasterChef. And her memoir, Hungry, was released in October last year, and it was a culinary walk down memory lane, a great book. But we got her on to talk about Christmas and food and trifle. And she also talked to us about facing into the first Christmas this year without her mother who died earlier this year. But I know you are going to find great laughs and comfort and fun in this episode. It was quite simply a joy to talk to this woman I've been reading for years. Here it is. Christmas Comfort Eating with Grace Dent. I'm going to start this very Christmassy podcast so close to Christmas by quoting you. So hold on for this and then I want you to discuss People say that the modern Christmas focuses too much on food instead of, like in olden times, the little baby Jesus. Piffle! As pagan midwinter festivals give way in the 17th century to a 12-day feast of the nativity shindigs, the focus has always been on wine, wassail and plum puds. We are a cold and rainy island in the North Sea. That's Britain and Ireland. We'll put them together. Dark by tea time for six months each year. Whatever late December means to you, it should be a time of twinkly lights, nourishing love and minor indigestion. <laughs> it's all about the food, isn't it? Hello. And that does sound <laughs> like something I would say. I've no idea where you got that from. Do you know something? We always have to write those Christmas special food articles so early that I probably wrote that some point in July in about 2011. But I I think it still holds absolute truth. I always say that even if you don't believe in Christmas, the Christmas story, and religion really means very little to you, we still need that thing to head towards in December. You know, we need that end of December going into early January, just the, you know, the sparkliness, you know, the opening the tin of chocolates, the sparkly wrappers and the bringing a tree and the baubles and the, the adrenaline of sitting in a supermarket car park at six o'clock in the morning to get coleslaw and all of those things. We need them because January, February, March, and I'm going to name February. That's the brutal one. February the 7th, I'm going to say it's, it actually, it has a name. February the 7th, the worst day of the year. We need something to break it up because we, yeah. the year up, we, you know, the, um, the winter up, we, that's what we need. I do stand by that. It's, yeah, you need um, to stand over that thing that you wrote in June 2002, possibly. Who knows? Yeah, You've been at this a long time. It could be, it could be <laughs> further back than 2011. But <laughs> what about this pandemic's Christmas, the second bloody pandemic Christmas? I mean, we need yeah. it even more in a way. I think we absolutely do. We, I think we need to have something to look forward to. And we need, I think we need to stay positive. And what is more positive than a groaning fridge full of things that we bought because they were two for one at 420. Because these, I don't know over, I don't know where you are, what, how they reduce things. But in Cumbria, where I grew up, it was yellow <laughs> stickers with whoops written on it in some of the supermarkets. And they, these women, the women that dispensed them were some of the most influential women in the whole of the county. You could suddenly get two dozen mince pies for, you know, 47 pence, which would inevitably go in the freezer until next year. But yeah, I think, 
look, this is what this is what we need. We yeah. need the, the we need we have to have um, something happy and jolly. It's the rhythms of the year, though, isn't it? We have to go into this point where there's a, just a bit of excess, and then obviously into like the purge of January. But what's the point in purging if you haven't made yourself slightly ill? Yeah. In that, no no that, need to that. convince me, Grace. You've got me on board fully. And I will be down at my little local Marks and Spencers with the yellow stickers. Actually, you've just reminded me that's a good time to go maybe Christmas Eve down there to get some two for ones and everything. Yeah. I always said that, you know, my mother, God rest her soul, she's passed away this year. But for Christmas, oh. her Christmas was the yellow stickers that went out at about three o'clock on Christmas Eve. She loved the adrenaline and the the gathering, you know, for her. And I think for a lot of women, Christmas is, you know, the the 18th, the 19th, the 20th, the 21st, that sense of waking up at four o'clock in the morning and already being late for your life. (laughs) (laughs) This year I've done this thing where, you know, my family were all in this Real state, we're all reeling with, you know, the, the loss of the big matriarch in the family. So some point in June, I said, everybody, you know what's going to be a re- really good idea? Let's, instead of doing the same old things and being sad, why doesn't everybody come to me? What was I thinking? I think I'd been drinking rosé in the sun. That's all I can say. Because now I am already late for my life. I've got, I've got a new dining table that I've been shouting at my partner for the last four or five days to build. I don't have enough seats. If everybody that's on my guest list comes, there's going to be people sitting on like deck chairs and the upturned barbecue. (laughs) Everybody's already arguing because I said, well, what's the point in having turkey? Nobody wants it. And everybody agreed. And now everybody's appalled because they want the turkey. So yeah, but uh, you know something? I've never felt more like a woman. That's like a Shania Twain moment there. (laughs) Man, I feel like a harassed woman. I haven't even been to Marks and Spencer's for coleslaw yet. (laughs) But listen, I mean, just going back to the fact that your mum died and it's going to be a very different Christmas then because I think that is a very difficult, the first one especially. I mean, it's it's been Mm. difficult for a good while because I know you're very close family and everything. Yeah. But how do you envisage that? How are you preparing yourself for that? No, I, I mean, if I'm very honest, I'm really glad that my mum is not suffering anymore. Last Christmas, she was absolutely on her last gasps. And the Christmas before that, she wasn't great. Um, and if I think about it, the Christmas before that, she wasn't good. She had more comebacks than Lazarus, to be quite honest, my mother um, and she, and we all kind of, we spent so many Christmases saying this has to be the last one that I'm kind of, I feel almost peaceful that we don't have to go through that again because God, you know, Christmas at that time of year and we were going through COVID, how are we going to face this one? <sighs> Do you know, I think there's going to be a lot of tears and I think there's going to be a lot of people um, sitting on the back doorstep of my house drinking a very strong gin and tonic and thinking of all the um, slightly outrageous things she said to them over the years. And, um, and, and as I keep saying to everybody, we've all moved up one step and I'm the captain now, right? And I'm going to be... Good luck to them all. <laughs> I'm going to... It's, 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 so, it's so strange when you lose your mother because you don't half realise that she she is always interested in what you're up to. Like she's, you know, my, my and, and I some, I've said this to my brothers a few times, it's like no one's as interested in your life as your mother, you know. And I, have, I, I'm, I feel like right now I'm stuck in a continuous loop of feeling like I owe someone a phone call, you know. And my mother loved the gossip. Like she loved the fact that I came down to London and did all these highfalutin things. That was fine. She loved that in a way. But what she loved the most was that I met Philip Schofield and people <laughs> like that. And I knew the inside gossip, right? And my mother loved the gossip. So just say there was something going on on this morning or whatever, you know, she'd ring us up. She'd go, oh, what's, 
well, he'd, he had a face on him this morning. What was going on? And I would like to tell her. So I always feel every time I come out of MasterChef or whatever, I'm, I feel like I need to ring her. And right now, it's so bizarre to be crawling towards Christmas and not have her around. But, you know, we are all going through this at the moment. There are millions and millions of us creeping through this very strange, uh, ambiguous grief um, since COVID and um, all the other people that died along the way through things that maybe didn't get treated in time and then we didn't get to have our funerals. So I do think there's lots of us in this very strange, ambiguous sense of grief that hasn't quite came to fruition. So, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to deal with it by making a really, really good trifle. Now, that's a good point, though. Will you be using bird's custard or will you be making your own grey stent? Okay. My first question is, who's asking? I'm asking. (laughs) And it's only all the women's podcast listeners. They're all in Ireland, so you don't have to. We won't tell anyone in England. If I was if if uh, if I was talking to Prue Lees, I would say, Prue, of course, I will be I'll be waking at the crack of dawn to roast my own vanilla pods. Probably on on a, on my on my kiln I have at the bottom of the garden. I don't have a kiln in my garden. Um, I, you know, something the the trifle that I love, and I put a couple of boxes of this in my trolley the other day when no one's looking. I hope I don't get papped doing it. Is that bird's trifle? You know the you know the the boxed bird's trifle. Yes, with the uh, and it's not even jelly. It's raspberry crystals. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and it has not. a little sachet of hundreds and thousands as well, doesn't it? I mean, I, it's bringing, you're taking me back here. This is. They're not even in the hundreds of thousands. They're not even in colours. They're just brown. That's how, <laughs> that's how low our expectations were in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's dream topping. It's not cream. It's just dream topping. I did uh, the podcast Comfort Eating with Jesse Ware and her wonderful mother, Lenny. And, and Lenny made a trifle which was simply a shop-bought Swiss roll with some jelly on it and then, you know, a thick cold custard and cream. And I said, that, that is, to me, trifle. That's, that's trifle. That's the, and it's that bird's kind of throwback. That whenever anybody starts saying, oh, you know, and this is the layer where we put the caramelised pecans, and this is like, no, duck. <laughs> No, just stop it. Give me, give me these plain things. I love, I love bird's custard though. Yeah. I love bird's custard, um, you know. And before we move away completely from your mum, I just like to know her name. And also I want to know, did you get all your funniness from her? Because she does sound like a character. Um, my mother, my mother was called Grace and my gran was called Grace and my auntie was called Grace. We were, we were all born during the, a name shortage, I think. Do you know something? We were, we were related to, to Grace Darling, the lighthouse woman. So, um, we, yeah, we all ended up Grace. Do I get my funniness from my mother? My, see, my dad was much more openly funny. My dad's a, scou- a scouser, so he was very, very much, he's, he's more of the one-liner. But when I'm in full flow um, of ripping into somebody, and I can hear my mother. Like I say things all the time at the moment and, and people just turn around and go, well, your mother's never going to be dead, is she? While you're around with that mouth on you. It's funny. Yeah, my mother was funny. My mother was, my mother was, uh, my mother took no prisoners. It's funny. Yeah. All the graces. Oh, I love that. Um, was there yeah. any Irish in his actually? Do you know, um, see my dad's side uh, scouse. So probably then. So I'm I'm gonna my dad's sides are, are a bit of a mystery. Mm. Like are actually we don't really we don't really know much about where they are from. I'd like to do um I'd love to do who do you think you are? Oh yeah. Um I'd love to do it just because I just to put you know to fill the gaps myself. But my mother used to always go, it's probably best just leave it. I think she's <laughs> I think she thinks the BBC will plough a load of money in and just find out that we're just a bunch of murderers, highwaymen. <laughs> and she'd be mortified. Now, back to Christmas. OK, you make a really good point um, in your memoir, Hungry. I love that title, Hungry. Grace is hungry. It's, it does what it says on the tin. Um, yes. You make a point that 
Christmases, and I think it was the same here because I, the image was just so strong when you mentioned the last Christmas video, 1984, and George and Andrew with those beautiful, everyone was beautiful and the table was this luscious, laden down thing, mm-hmm. the Christmas bowl, everything was better than everything we had in our house. And that that was a moment when we all decided, oh, I want, to, I want that kind of Christmas. That's the Christmas I'm aspiring to. And everything changed. Yeah, well, I mean, Christmas in the 70s, I mean, I, I remember... I was born in 73 and I it feels like the first 10 years of that were just in black and white. I was in the north. I can't I mean Christmas was a, up until the mid 80s was a very homespun small affair. You know, you bought almost what you needed and maybe a little bit more. And you know these I always say, you know, a a tin of Quality Street coming into the house was the most exciting thing, the deferred gratification of having to wait for like 26 days before you could open it, kind of breathless with excitement. And, you know, not the the hyper excess that we got from the big supermarkets coming hadn't arrived, you know, just the hyper excess of of. It, it suddenly felt when those huge supermarkets arrived and sold Christmas to us, like, yeah, life began in Technicolor. And I'm not slagging that. I loved it. I loved it. I lap it up. I still, to this day, sometimes feel at my highest, at my most giddy in the in the huge flagship Marks and Spencer's food hall in, in London where I go in and I'm just like, the lights, the atmosphere, it's just, you just hoying tins of biscuits into your trolley like it like this, like they're going out of fashion but I um you know I, I I say in my book Hungry there was a there's a specific moment where yeah George Michael the last Christmas video where everything about that was wonderful you know they're suddenly they it, they have an enormous table that fits everybody <laughs> there is not one single person that's like eating on their lap nobody's they you know matching plates match uh, wine glasses no one's drinking out of a mug <laughs> this idea that christmas i think mid 80s it was christmas wasn't just food you need the table you need the you need a, you need a tablecloth but also a runner and a centerpiece a runner and a centerpiece these things that just sit around jamming your drawers for the rest of the year you know so you inevitably get one out and use it as a tea towel and ruin it (laughs) at some point but you know needing everything to make and I always say it's as if on Christmas day we don't just eat as better people it's almost like we eat as completely fictional imaginary people as if suddenly you're having your, your grand round and you're treating her like the visiting ambassador of bolivia and you're kind of going oh come in and sit down for our smoked salmon starter what could you <laughs> suddenly you're having a starter in your own house I know. and you're kind of oh sit down oh come in come in yes we're all going to have an aperitif what it's 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 this weird, this fictional uh, kind of universe that we all enter for Christmas. And I, what I also find fascinating, though, is it, this universe kind of starts on about 16th, 15th, 16th of December. And I think it finishes almost at about four o'clock on Christmas Day, where the presents are opened, the big meals being had, and you're left with this kind of weird, almost post-coital embarrassment because you've got this house full of tat that you've all bought for each other that you don't want you're like oh bloody hell great oh lovely you've got me a you know when you get your pile together of all your things and you suddenly look at it and it's like oh god (laughs) what there might be one book you want to read or something but like and you just look at your family and going on what on what (laughs) planet did i want a yankee candle what what why do you hate me not even the good one, not even a good Yankee candle. <laughs> and you're kind of, and then at three, about, it's about 3.30 where you suddenly walk into your, your uh, you know, your kitchen and you, you open your fridge and it's like Jenga. And you're like, why, why have we got four types of cream? I don't, <laughs> we were swept along, swept along by This Morning and BBC Breakfast News and the supermarket magazines they give you when you're checking out and, and we are swept along by uh, by duty, 
You know, we saw, I think as women, I saw my mother get herself into a massive tiz to give us a magical time and drive herself absolutely mad. And I am, it is in me to drive myself mad. You know, it's, it's in me. As I started this morning when I was like shouting at my bloke, we had our first Christmas argument. You have to have a, you have to have Christmas argument where it's suddenly, you suddenly just say, well, am I the person that's meant to build this bed? Am I? Am I? Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about me. Like that. And you just think, why are we? But yeah, it's, it's this and this. And we haven't even, you know, I love the fact that we've spoken all this time. We've never mentioned religion once. <laughs> well, I mentioned, excuse me, I mentioned baby Jesus at the very beginning. I think you'll find Miss Den. The little But the you know what you're reminding me of? My father had schizophrenia, sadly, and he, he died by suicide when I was eight. But, um, which sounds a very cheery thing to say, but I'm going to say I always find quite a funny story that my mum tells where there was a time when he got on the right medication and he was a bit more lucid than other times. And it was at Christmas and... <laughs> My mother did it all. She date we we are I'm one of eight. She did eight kids. She did everything, and he walked into the house on a, maybe it was Christmas Eve, and everything was as it should be. You know the the tree, the presents, the smells in the air, the just mm. everything looked amazing. And my dad, she says, just stood there and went, "Wow, oh, do you do this every year?" He had no concept, <laughs> but he had no, he had no concept of. You know, that somebody was doing all this. It was now he yes. was lucid. He could kind of go, wow, this is amazing. But it yes. had gone on and on for years and he had had no yeah. concept that this was a big, huge juggernaut that my mum had kind of created and we'd all benefited from. And meanwhile, he was just a kind of bystander. Um, oh, my God. You know, for my first question is what drugs were they and how many, <laughs> how much can we get almost all the men in Britain on them? <laughs> that, that should be an NHS thing, surely. <laughs> On the nineteenth, you get to have these high, these high-powered SSSRs or whatever they are. The Christmas and, drugs. And a man suddenly, yeah, a man suddenly turns around and goes, "What? So you got my mother a gift too?" Yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. but I, I just—it's like what you say, and I think that's a reason why some people have Christmas phobia as well. Like I have a friend who really doesn't like Christmas, and mm. part of it is sort of a feminist reason. She just feels it is something that women have had to shoulder for so long. All the yeah. emotional labour, all the buying the presents, like you said, for the in-laws and the outlaws and everybody else. And and that there is this sense that it's our job to make it really special. And that can be very, that's why we have the meltdowns, I think, because that's a lot yeah. of pressure. I've had those yeah. meltdowns myself um, yeah. I mean, for my I, kids you know, and everything. I, I love that. I love that phrase, emotional labour, because it wasn't even invented <laughs> until about three years ago. And I remember the first time I heard it and thought, Oh my God, what is this? You know, this kind of new wave, new new wave of feminist claptrap, la 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 la. And then within about three three days, I was just saying it continually. I, I was like, that's it, because this is it, the emotional labor. That's it. The emotional labor is of, you know, my bloke came in yesterday morning and he was going on and on and on and on and on about work. And um and he was just got and I and I thought. Yeah, I thought I'm just listening now to an almost minute by minute blog of what you did at work, right? And I was thinking, this is emotional labour. This is this is emotional labour. Yeah. But then saying that, I love the way you thought it was claptrap, and then in five minutes later, you're like, no, no, it's not. It's the best thing I've ever. That's <laughs> that's pretty. That yeah, that is me all over, basically. Yeah, listen, I, you know, because this is I, you know, you listen. I do. I listen to, you know, much younger women than me and they come out with things. And, you know, I always I screw my face up and then I realise that they're actually they're probably right. I think Maybe I am an old crone. <laughs> but I think it's also that we uh, with a lot of those things that we have to then contend with the fact that we've kind of been gaslit, which is another one of those words that I had yes. to come around to. But that we had been like the fact that we didn't label it labour or emotional labour or anything meant it was all just happening without anybody yeah. acknowledging it in any way. You know, nobody was coming yeah. in like my poor dad saying, wow, look at all you've done. Nobody was doing that. So it's kind of um, you have to realise what uh, crap people went through. Women, you know, maybe yes. not us as much, but our mothers, our grandmothers, what they had to deal with. It's a it's a lot. Yeah, but I also think, could you imagine if suddenly the men in our lives wanted to run the whole of Christmas. No. Sorry. I mean, this is it. 
What would I that can, alternative be? Oh I my can, god! <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> I mean, first of all, it would be a bit like when my father bought my mother one year. He really, really thought he was always in trouble for not getting my mother a good Christmas present, and she was always crying around Christmas. And one year, he really put his mind to it and bought her a Chas and Dave album. Oh my god! That's the face. <laughs> oh Jesus! I'm now I've mentioned Jesus in another context again. Um, It was the best of Chas and Dave. The new Safe Ireland Survivor Fund, in partnership with Airbnb, enables Safe Ireland to contribute to sustainable supports for women and frontline services and to provide focused actions for children. You can play a critical role in helping to protect more women and children from abuse. Donate directly to your local domestic violence service or to the national work of Safe Ireland. Go to www.safeireland.ie for more information. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My partner bought me uh, coat hooks once for Christmas. <laughs> because he said, oh, you're always saying you have nowhere to hang your coat. And he was, didn't realize, he didn't understand why I was upset. <laughs> I can't believe I've silenced you oh, with that. Oh my God. Just a coat hook. Did he put them up? No. no. Oh, right. No. No, no, no. They sat there for ages until like, you know, eventually, eventually after I'd been nagging for. Anyway, he's a good, he's a very good person. He just, he made a mistake. <laughs> but that, it's the same person bought his previous girlfriend a tie buster for Christmas once. How is he still alive? I know. And the thing is, he said to her, but you're always going on about your ties. He just didn't get, he's a lovely person. He genuinely thought that he'd help with her thing. He didn't care about her ties. He loved her ties any size, but she seemed to have a problem. So it's just more of an innocent thing rather than a yes. mean thing. <laughs> oh God. I, you know, I find Christmas presents really stressful. I Christmas really present do. shopping. So I think we shouldn't have to buy as many this time because of the pandemic. I think we should really enjoy each other, the food and each other. That should be the main thing. The presents yes, should be very... No. I I absolutely agree. I some people, some women love the gift giving. They love, they love to find the specific things and to wrap them and to give them. And they love, you know, you know, when you go to somebody else's house at Christmas mm. and you suddenly realise that they're the type of people that they want to take photos of each other when they're unwrapping the presents and they have a specific system of when the presents are unwrapped and then you have to like make a little speech about see all these type of things they they just they I start to get a bit of a retinal migraine <laughs> thinking about it so, so I find gifts difficult yeah anyway but this I, I'm a very generous person if somebody says they want something I'll get it for them <laughs> if they really want something if somebody says I really need this thing yeah Amazon will be there the next day. I will get them. But it's that kind of, it's traipsing around in in a shopping center mm. with, with kind of sweaty and thirsty buying bath bombs. No, I'm with you. It's on. not, it's, it's, it's yeah. not enjoyable. And then the result is this little pile of presents that nobody wants as well, isn't it? It's like that's, you, well, we want to avoid that. It, my mum was English. Uh, she came over from London around uh, 50, uh, six, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. 
And um, so she brought like sort of an English style of Christmas Day with her because my dad mm. is Irish. And we would, um, we're very unusual. Like our, we got stockings from Santa, you know, like our presents yeah. were at the end of our bed in a stocking. But in Ireland, when you get Santa, it's the big presents. Whereas my mum did the thing of all the stuff in our stockings with the little bits, like the or- the orange and the chocolate coins and the, yeah. you know, the, the toiletries and the, the body shop bath baubles and all those kind of things. And so then, those bits were at the end of your bed? Yeah, in a stocking, in a pillowcase. So, so you had a pillowcase at the end of your bed yeah. with little things. Yeah. And then was there a second part of it which was bigger yes. somewhere else? So, so that was the little things from Santa. Santa was someone who okay. brought like little bits and bobs that you'd enjoy that in the morning, you know. And then yeah. we had to ha- we had our lunch, our Christmas dinner at like around two o'clock. And then okay. we weren't allowed to go in to get our actual presents, presents until all the washing up was done. And there was eight of us, so we could do it quite quickly. You know, we, we all had to put muck in. And then we sit down at around three or four o'clock in the roll around the Christmas tree. And we did okay. that thing that you just said to <gasps> Roisin, love, Peter. Right. And there was eight of us. So that's eight by eight, 64, whatever amount to Roisin, love, Peter. And you had to open the present and do all the ooh, ah, di ba, di ba before the next one came. It lasted a long oh, time. I'm feeling anxious already. <laughs> oh, we loved it so much. But that is a lot of pretending. That you really, that you really wanted this Cliff Richard album or whatever it that you. Were I think given. in that in those days though, because we're talking back in the seventies, early eighties. I mean, anything you got, you were just delighted because yes. you didn't get much. I mean, that yeah, these course. were in the days when we ate smoked salmon once a year, and now my kids have it every second day and a bloody bagel for their lunch. You know, we had and a side of smoked salmon out in the small room, and it was a big deal. But well, this is it. How are you meant to? How are you meant to make people? feel excited about Christmas when they're getting these things every day. And yeah. this is why we're in the, 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 this is why we end up being obsessed with bloody Heston Blumenthal and whatever he's decided to put in the supermarket. Oh, you know, it's a, whatever he's, whatever he's doing this year. And whatever they're putting in, whatever they're putting in the puddings. more birds inside other birds or whatever. Grace, yeah, exactly. And Grace, what are they doing with Christmas puddings? Like, why are they turning them into these chocolate bombs and all these different things? It's not, that's not a Christmas pudding. Due to the infantilization of of people, of human beings, people don't want to eat Christmas pudding. And I think this, I, th- I feel very strongly about this. When I was a child, there was only Christmas pudding. And if you didn't like Christmas pudding, you could go and sit on the sofa. <laughs> there was no, could you imagine saying, oh, I, on Christmas Day this was. There was really only the Christmas pudding and it was nutty and sweet and clammy. And it had obviously it had usually been steamed on the stove for about two and a half hours. It was dry. And, uh, and nobody would ever dare say that they didn't have it. Nobody had a nut allergy. They just politely died. If there was <laughs> just died in the corner, <laughs> just put, put a blanket over him. He's being awkward. Um, and, and I do think now... Yeah, it, it's making these things more and more kind of uh, acceptable to to people that don't eat the puddings. Yeah, there's no need. There, there shouldn't. There doesn't need to be chocolate. No, there's no need for chocolate or, or a sort of surprise in the middle that melts or something. Like, what's that's a different thing. That's a fondant, as you know well. You know a good. You've had more fondants than you've had hot dinners. Anybody, I'd say. I have had too many fondants in this lifetime and anybody who thinks that they're going to make me coo by there being a melting something in the middle of anyone who's clearly never watched MasterChef. Yeah. I'm, up, I'm up to here with things melting. I'm more excited if something's just solid these days. <laughs> I have to say on the pudding, Grace, I didn't, I was the only one in my house who didn't like pudding when I was little. Like I just mm. would not eat it. I thought it was hard. But I have somehow acquired a taste for Christmas pudding in my yes. middle age, what what is yeah. that? What happens? Which are the taste buds? I think that it's 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 because it is an acquired taste. I think it takes you a good forty years <laughs> to start liking it because it is. It's a bit of a strange thing. It's too rich. Yeah, it's full of all kinds of different flavors and tastes. And it's the fact that you only have it at that in that period of dis, you know. In, in December. Oh, yeah, so you only I have it once it a year for many times. Of course, if the acquiring is going to take longer. That's it's a good too. It's it, but it's nostalgia. It's yeah. wonderful. It's the nostalgia of, you know, you give people like me and you a bowl of that Christmas pudding and you're swept back to being at your granny's house on that one 
day a year and getting through that bowl and <laughs> and it's wonderful it's magical mm. you know and you have to work for it you know it's a it's it's <laughs> it's not it's not easily delicious <laughs> there's bits of it that aren't it's like learning to love guinness a bit actually because i love guinness but it took me a good while Exactly. It, it it's exactly that. And I'm and I'm and my younger brother is exactly the same about Christmas pudding. We've taken the mick out of him for years that he doesn't eat it and now he does. It's just a it's a later life thing. Mm. But the other thing about Christmas pudding, and this is the magic for me, and I didn't really like it as a thing to eat, but when my mother would put the, the brandy on it and would set it on fire and we turned off the lights, that was Christmas to me. And that smell. That was the most that blue flame you know. You know is it even Christmas if somebody isn't getting rushed to A&E with one burnt thumb? Is it even Christmas if you're not, if you don't spend from seven o'clock onwards feasting from a vending machine? <laughs> just, just amongst rows and rows of other people that have had some kind of mishap. Setting fire to things when everyone's drunk. How did that ever become a thing? It was a great thing. Don't knock it at all. Mm. Yeah. Health and safety be damned. I don't care. Um, now, let's. we're going to go away from Christmas a little bit and we'll come back to it at the end. But you didn't grow up on these fondants with things in the middle and quail eggs and caviar at all. Um, just referring back to your, your brilliant memoir, Hungry. So tell us about your food life in your family and, and how you ended up there. You started off there and ended up very somewhere very different. Well, yeah, I mean, I... I started off in in Carlisle in the north of England. I am from, um, you know, a, like a very working class background. Very, I feel, I always feel bad saying this, but it's very, it's very true. Very low aspirations. People always say, "Oh, your parents must have been so over the moon with everything you did," and I think. Not really. To be quite honest, my mother would have been a lot happier if I'd married a builder down the road because she would have got a free breakfast bar, which she always wanted. And she would have been able to see me every day, you know, and I and she and she would have thought that I was happier and then probably putting myself through the London media lifestyle. And uh, I grew up in a terraced house in uh, in an area which is, you know, is uh it's not, you know, it's full of poverty now, even to this day. And uh, I grew up with, uh, you know, a very, very small amount of things that we ate. You know, we ate, this was before the big supermarkets. And we yes. ate a lot, <laughs> we ate a lot of things out of tins. I ate a lot of, um, a lot of Heinz soups and spaghetti hoops. And I'm still obsessed to these days, this day with these tastes of, salad cream and uh you know lots of mints I always say this lots of mints lots of we don't even really know what it was minced what 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 things you know uh and there was you know, recipe books called things like 50 ways with mints that was a thing know, another thing is even then even if we had that recipe book my family would have got to page three and that would have been one of them was spag ball and one of them would have been a shepherd's pie and I think end of list really <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, even though, you know, we, we, we certainly, we certainly didn't, you know, grow up amongst uh, bright colours and, and, and herbs, fresh herbs and garlic <laughs> and food from other countries. And I know I def definitely didn't, you know, see, I definitely didn't grow up amongst that. And I remember from an early age when MasterChef first arrived, you know, see, as we all did, sitting roaring and laughing at the food critics. Like these pompous, pompous people coming onto the television set and kind of going, ew, this is the worst foie gras I've eaten in my life, you know. And we laughed at them. We laughed at Jilly Goulding on um, the food and drink programme, thinking that she could taste oh, God, things you in the that? wine. That was hilarious. Yeah. Oh, this taste of, of a babbling brook <laughs> and uh, enchanted elderberries. Um, you know, me and my dad, my dad was very much like Jim Royal, you know, oh, and I just remember, oh thing. God, he's so like that, you know, <laughs> and he would just sit down, look at this, look at this silly bugger. Um, so I kind of grew up amongst that kind of, we only had, you know, very small, I, mean, I always say my grandparents wouldn't even eat melted cheese. They'd never, 
You know, cheese was cheddar and it came in a block. This was the 70s and 80s in the north. You know, we didn't have anything that was really adventurous. You know, there was a wimpy that you could go to maybe if you were going to go for your birthday. And you kind of pub food, you know, when people started kind of going out a bit more in the 80s, you might go mad and have a gammon with a slice of pineapple My mum did that. That was great. Yeah. Oh, Gallop, gammon and pineapple are gammon with a fried egg. Mm. Uh, I bet people try to deconstruct that now, do they, in MasterChef and stuff, to try to make something like that posh. Oh, you know, <laughs> nothing chills my bones more than people deconstructing things. You know, my eyes dance across that menu and it'll say sticky toffee pudding and my heart leaps. And then I look a little bit closer and it'll say deconstructed and I think, oh. Does, did any did this pudding need an autopsy? No, it did not, Cassandra. And I think we need we need to wonder why we're packing our suitcase and going home after this episode. No, what was I going to say? Cassandra, so, yes, that's perfect. It's always Cassandra. It's always somebody called Cassandra who's got a really, really, really brilliant, important job anyway, and has decided to throw it all away to deconstruct pudding. <laughs> It's like, oh, at the moment, I'm only a paediatrician. Cassandra, no, stop it, stop it. But no, I mean, I bloody love that. I absolutely love that working on that television show. It's kind of, it is never anything less than a massive thrill meeting all those people and just being kind of bombarded with all this wonderful food. You're my um, favourite on it because you're always so nice, even when you're being critical. I never feel like you're being nasty, I don't think. Do you know, I just think that, I can, you know, having worked around television for so long, I can see it in them from the moment they come through the door. They're so tired yeah. and they're so emotional and they haven't, they haven't had a good night's sleep for so long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they have been living and breathing this, whatever this recipe is. They've probably made it a hundred times. Their families are sick of it. They can't even taste it anymore. <laughs> And then they come through the door and you'll notice they've got like kind of blue um, elastoplast yeah. around their thumbs where they've managed to like, you know, take the skin off the, their thumbs <laughs> with some kind of peeler. And they walk in and I just, I just can't, no. I can never be. I mean, I think maybe Jay, um, Rainer's a little bit crueler than me. Jay gets really upset about cold plates. <laughs> he gets really, he spends his whole time, he's, he never quite learns. Every time a plate comes through the door, he touches it. And it's cold. And he says, this plate's cold. And I'm like, Jay, this plates have been cold now for 14 years. Your babe, it's, it's never going to be warm. And Grace, but, aren't they um, sometimes sweating? That's when I notice. That's when I, I feel so, so bad. They're sweaty. And they've been sweaty. shaking, trying to put those last bits on. That's when their hands are shaking. I just can't bear watching. It's terrible. They're sweating and shaking and crying and mewling. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's always interesting when one of them's really confident. I always think, I think, oh, it's like, oh, this is a random factor. When somebody comes through the door and they put their plates down and they're like, hi, how are you? <laughs> like, whoa, we've got a live one here. To be able to get through all of that and still be coherent is, uh, is quite something. Well, I kind of took you off um, our course there, but I was sort of wondering about where you got, how you got there. How did you get to the Master of Education, if you can say it in a very brief sort of way? In a very brief way, <laughs> I wanted to be a writer and uh, I wanted to be Paulie Yates um, and I wanted to be Janet Street Porter. And I think I wanted to be Julie Birchall for a long time. And I uh, went and studied English English literature at uni up in Scotland and I came down to London in the 90s and started to write and for lots of magazines and newspapers I've been around I've I've been around forever I know I know by my by my soft and and flawless skin you still think I'm 26 <laughs> yes but no I've been I've I've been around writing and writing and I loved restaurants and I I loved restaurants as much as I loved nightclubs and gigs when I was younger wow. I love to sweep into restaurants they're like an ever moving like land every time you walk into a different one it's a different place it's a different clique it's a different menu and I very early on in London started to get really angry by how easy it was to be ripped off by hype Everyone, oh god you've got to go to this place it's amazing and then you go and you give this person 150 pounds of your hard-earned cash and come out and everybody says to you 
oh, well, I never said the food was good. It's just a great atmosphere. And I'm like, no, I don't have this money to throw about. So I <laughs> want to, I write on behalf of everybody that goes out maybe two or three times a year and I want it to be good. So I made the, I just made the leap by kind of hanging around and hinting loudly that I wanted to be a restaurant critic. And in the end, the London Evening Standard gave me a chance when I was writing about other things. And I got that email saying, Grace, our critic has gone, um, has gone off sick. No, somebody had like left and it, do you want to, do you want to fill in? And I think I, as I just fell, I slumped across against the keyboard and said, yes, I'll come and I'll do it. And, uh, and I, and I, I remember at that point, this was 2000, I think it's about 2000. And I said, I'm never giving that job back. Wow. Never. I'm never giving it back. I, I don't love care. that grace though. I'm never, I, I just thought it's, re, it's re, it was very rare to be given the, the chance. And I thought if, you know, I, I wasn't related to anybody in the food industry yeah. and I, uh, I, I certainly hadn't spent a childhood, you know, learning to cook at my mother's knee in our geet or in <laughs> Tuscany or, you know, uh, having that food moment where everything just fell into place when we ate fresh oysters in Provence. I didn't, these are, these were the stories I heard again and again. This is when you're allowed to talk about food. But to me, I thought I have something to offer because people understand it when I explain food. So um, I've just hung around annoying people ever since. I think once every six months, the food fraternity have a meeting to try and kick me out. <laughs> People say, have you seen that she's actually got silver fillings and no maths GCSE? I think it's <laughs> What does she know about food? <clears throat> you have much but, better uh, conversations about food. For example, on your Instagram recently, you've been doing a rundown of the best beige foods, which is a really interesting oh subject. <laughs> so what are the beige yeah. foods you would, you would put in the, the good bracket? Oh, well, the reason that I talk about beige food is because I think that it's a, I think that we all lie about what our favorite foods are. So if we're put on the spot, we might say, well, my favorite food is a, is a, is a vibrant chicken jalfrezi and a blah, blah. you know, you might yeah. say these beautiful, you know, delicate, colorful foods, but what we actually like is eating rice pudding out of a tin but we don't say it it's the beigeness of it i i love um chow mein from not 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 from any kind of fancy chinese restaurant mm. but from just a takeaway and it's the brownness of the chow mein with the caram you know the onion that's been kind of fried and and you know and i love i love all kinds of potato oh, yeah. but i especially love a, a a ch chips with curry sauce drizzled with lots of so salt and lots of vinegar and it's that kind of i know in, on instagram i started to get together i just went into my kitchen and started to find the actual things that i've got s hidden away in my cupboard which was you know you got sachets of uh butterscotch angel delight mm. and um you know, little cocktail sausages that, you know, just roasting them in the oven and then just kind of dipping them in the, the kind of things that you eat standing up when you can't be bothered to cook. I'm, 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 I'm fast, you know, this is why, you know, with my podcast Comfort Eating, I'm really fascinated in what we actually eat. You, um, you start your podcast every time you talk to celebrities about um, the, the beginning of it is what's your favourite comfort food, right? So um, yeah. I know I'm not a celebrity, but will you ask me, Grace Dent, and then I'll tell you because it's beige, actually. OK, right. So would you like to tell me what you've brought for me this week? Unveil your snack. Right. My snack started when I was uh, living in Birmingham, when I was in my early 20s. I lived in a squat, Grace, and I discovered these things called coca noodles in a packet. They were noodles. And then you would go and I, start, I started to make them. And then I decided they would be good as a sandwich. So my thing is toasted white bread. It has to be really crap white bread. Can't be yeah. good posh. Can't be sourdough or anything. That would be terrible. Yeah. I make the noodles, but I make them with a bit of butter and I don't put as much water in as you're supposed to so that they are more claggy and not watery. They're very, very claggy. Then the sachet of seasoning goes in 
And it's just yes. this claggy, soft, gooey noodles. Yes. And then the toast pops up. I put a lot of butter on the on the toast. Then I put on the whole amount of one packet of noodles. And then I have some tomato ketchup. And then I cut it and I have this sandwich of cocoa noodles. Right. I'm going to say that that sounds delicious. Yeah. The and chicken curry ones particularly, but you could use any ones. Because that that flavour sachet that is in the chicken <laughs> noodle, I don't even know what's in it, but it's got some kind of rare chemical that yes. you're not going to be able to recreate that yourself. No. And it's that, it's that pot noodle fill level sachet that you have to use. Fill level, yeah. Fill level, filter that you have fill level. And it's that. So you're not putting as much water in. So you're making a very kind of thick, yes. almost like a claggy, a claggy paste. But then that is is mixing with the buttery, white, plasticky bread. Sourdough wouldn't work here. No, no. It wouldn't work. No. And it needs to, I, I also love that. I think that women of our age group have been made to feel that white bread is, is oh, you know, you, you don't even, you don't even mention it. <laughs> You know, you might you might as well be caught buying drugs and putting a putting a, a, a you know a what is it what's it Mother's Pride that yeah plasticky white somebody it was actually it was Ashlyn B turned me on to Kerrygold butter oh hello that's the only butter in the world I mean Grace Kerrygold yeah I had never had Kerrygold mm. butter if I had it hadn't made a proper impact on me until Ashlyn B. On the my podcast, uh, she put bird's eye potato waffles into the toaster. Yeah, you put them down good. two or three times, Absolute. and then three, butter them three times. But yeah, three times, <laughs> and then butter them, butter them with this Kerrygold. Oh, she butters the That's waffles. It. Wow, mind blown! Absolutely mind. Can I abs- also interest you in a white bread sandwich of cold baked beans and mayonnaise? <sighs> cold baked beans are absolutely delicious. Now, mayonnaise, I'm going to stop you there. Okay. Mayonnaise, to me, hasn't got the vinegary hit right. that needs to cut through, which is why salad cream will always be, to me, pourable sunshine. Right. Well, I will try it with salad cream because I've never done that. I don't own a, a salad. I haven't owned a salad cream for a long time, but I'm going to go and buy some. The you mayonnaise, don't own salad cream? Could you do me what, a favour? I know. I think, I think, um, I don't know why I don't own salad cream for a long time, but I'm going to get back into it. I used to. There was a day and sandwich spread. Do you remember sandwich spread? Sandwich spread was, I don't, I think that if you tried to explain sandwich (laughs) spread to the younger generation, they wouldn't believe you. It's, it feels fever dreamish, doesn't it? (laughs) Do they still make it? it? So it, what it was, was salad cream. But a kind of a thinner salad cream with really, really, really small vomity bits of carrot and, and cucumber in it. <laughs> vomity bits. Do, vomity. Do you know little vomity bits if you've had a big night out and you've already I been do. sick? You've been sick. It smells like that. It smells like sick. It's sick. It's just sick. Do you know, it's a good job that I don't think Heinz marketing no. department will be in touch. I don't think so. Um, now. Let's go back to Christmas because you are going to be presenting a really fast. It's going to it's going to be brilliant. You're presenting a Christmas program on BBC called Let's Go Back to Christmas, talking about all the stuff we were watching in 1991. Uh, we are, that that's what I'm doing. I've, you know, I've done this show um, <clears throat> a few years. We do it on BBC Four, and it's this year. It's on the 20th of December, and it's just a chance to. Get hold of the Radio Times from that year, which is always exciting. I get so excited. We have the RTE guide, similar, but yeah. The, right. Yeah. It's that, so educate me. The RTE guide. Yes, the same. When it arrived, do you get a double edition? Yes, a bumper Christmas edition. Oh. And then you get the pen out. My mother would always have the pen out Magical. circling, circling the royal family, circling everything, you know. Yeah, that, it's, it's all, it's, so we we get a copy of this and uh, we we I don't know where they find it eBay, and then we go into the archives and Brilliant. find the actual shows that were on that week. Wow. And uh, oh no, it's it's just you know it's just a way to look at how entertainment changes over the years. You know, I'm doing 1991 this Christmas, and it's amazing when you see how much Noel Edmonds was everywhere. Noel Edmonds, 
everywhere. It was. And so much hair, so much hair, like highlighted and, you know, the crinkly bottom Christmas special, you know, Mr. Blobby appearing and like people, are, people are, are soiling themselves with glee, you know. It's like every time someone shouts crinkly bottom, it's like <laughs> literally Christmas is here. And it's like the first, some of the first appearances of Jeremy Clarkson on oh. things. Um, kind of, it's very strange when you look back because you realize kind of what a sex symbol he was marketed as, you know? Uh, so it's very, it, it's just a lovely way to get into the, I, I love, look, I'm an old lady. I love the archives. I love, I love, the I archives. love to, I love getting out the you know, top of the popses and yeah. just look at it. So yeah, it's just, it's a massive, massive joy to do it. I, I re- I'll let you into a secret. We did record it last week. So um, I spent the whole day in a very, very, very tight dress, not being able to eat any of the mince pies that people <sighs> came and put in front of me. It was, you know, you know when, um, you know when you're literally kidding yourself that you can fit into something, <laughs> yeah. and then the only, <laughs> the only way that I could eat actually um, carry that dress off was just not to move at all for the whole day. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, Grace, what what about some tips for people? you know, who find the old Christmas dinner a bit stressful and are looking for some easy things, things that they shouldn't fret about and not to worry about. And how can we de-stress a little bit for people? You know, to de-stress for Christmas, you really have to, uh, and I'm not being cruel, get a grip and think, this is just a roast dinner with some sprouts. I know that you've, I know that you have been whipped up by centuries (laughs) of passed down stress into believing that suddenly you're not going to be able to roast a few potatoes and stick a a big chicken in the oven. But you can do this. I believe in you. And also, if if you're cooking and you're the one cooking, nobody has a right to say that they don't like anything, you know. It's trying to tell people that at the end of the day, it's just, it's 40 minutes tops. And I think... (laughs) We're not French. My partner's French. What a song and dance they make out of eating. It's like, oh, we're all going to sit down for four hours. We don't like, we haven't got four hours of conversation. You know, it's, uh, I I think, keep it simple. Also, don't get too, dep- don't get too wound up with what I've seen recently is people wanting to go onto Instagram, social media to say they've done all their prep the day before. Have you seen that? Yeah. That's really kicking off. Oh, it's absolutely fine. It's four days before Christmas, but I've already done all my sprouts and I'm keeping them in the car boot to keep them cold. Ugh. Again, Susan, stop it. Like, Susan. it's just, stop. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest things you could do for yourself at Christmas is uh, watch how much alcohol that you drink because I always say <laughs> it's really tempting to think that if you have you know, a bottle and a half of Bailey's, it'll make everybody softer and gentler. It won't, and it won't make you. But I and but I do love that you're a, a fan. This is something people are going to have to contend with. And you actually believe there needs to be someone who has a few good conspiracy theories at the table. The alternative <laughs> character, because I'm busy trying to banish mine from my Christmas table, but you're saying, no, invite them in. Bring them I in. Love, there has to be one person at the Christmas <laughs> dinner table that everybody is appalled by so that you can all one by one go into the kitchen and swirl your finger around your ear and go is he going on about princess diana being murdered again yes you know it's it's got to be there has to be one person there's got to be one person that when they say oh well i'll just be going home then everyone goes everyone's like (laughs) jim royal was great for that wasn't he and that's something yeah. I miss about Christmas, Grace. You know, Caroline O'Hearn and George Michael, they're my two people that I just feel so sad they're not in the world, you know. Oh, God. Because Caroline no. did Christmas better, I think, and it's probably a Christmas that you recognise and that I recognise. Mm. And those beautiful moments and when everything goes wrong and when things go right and the, the, just the togetherness of just, it's all about family, isn't it? Whatever is going on, it's just about being together. Christmas is about being together and it is, it's about the wrongness. It's about the... Don't we all have a family story where, the, the, you yeah. know, the year the dog ate the turkey. The, the, or the our turkey year... burnt one year yes. and I'll never forget it. It was my mother crying. I'll never forget seeing her with the, looking at the turkey black, you know. 
But the, Christmas these things ruined. become family folklore. <laughs> these are the things that they're quite magical in their own way. The wrongness is <laughs> is great. And, you know, again, when you see all these families that seem to have got it all perfect and it's Christmas Eve and they're all in matching pyjamas. Oh, that's a big thing. Uh, like man. every single one of them. And I've got nothing. If you can get your family to do that without a rebellion or somebody getting injured in the fight, <laughs> I'm really happy for you. But that's that's perfection is not where it it's just being together it's yeah. being together and not giving any horrible candles to me no yankee candles for grace no Dent. i candles. think that's a good place to end it and peace and goodwill to all men but mostly women actually <laughs> mostly women because yeah. it's the women's podcast and um i've absolutely well, enjoyed as i knew i would <laughs> speaking to you grace and i i wish you a wonderful christmas and i know it will be um, you know, you'll have a great Christmas, but it will be a difficult one and, a, and an unusual yeah. one. So I wish you all the best through that. But I love the Thank idea you. of you all sitting on the back step, you know, getting through yeah. it with large drinks and large maybe a drinks. few sneaky cigarettes or something like it's, that. If, it's, if it's got, it's got to, there's got to be a sneaky cigarette that you would <laughs> never drink. You would never dream of having the rest of the year that's going to give you at two o'clock in the morning. You're going to wake up going, was I smoking Regal King size outside with Julie from next door? It's all, that's, that's Christmas. Brilliant. Grace Den, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> and that's all we have time for. Thanks so much to Grace Dent. And do let us know what you thought about that conversation by getting in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Instagram or Twitter and we're on email, the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.